Hey y'all, so I'm really thrilled you're here today. Drew has listed off his top three, and I chime in a bit too, but we are excited to bring to you our top three favorite plants for the homestead and why we love them so much. So give a listen and see if you get some inspiration. Maybe you're already growing all three. I'm curious, let us know. Hey friends! Welcome to The Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned. Everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. Hey friends, so the top three plants that you should be growing on the homestead, this is pretty tricky because I feel like there's way more than three plants you should be growing on the homestead, but these ones I think are quite possibly our favorite on the homestead. I'll say if I was going to come up with three, my three would be different except for one. Okay, so, so we're, I'm throwing in a bonus. So this is my three. Well, kind of. one of them is one of my three. I'm stealing one of yours. So do we get six if we do the no. top three? Oh, five. No. I'll give you four. Okay. All right, so maybe kind of top four, but we'll talk about three of them more than the other one probably. I don't know. I think this could go in a number of different directions for me. And maybe this is going to be a spinoff episode, like we're going to do the herbs. Because, I mean, at yeah. Skillshare, which we just finished, I talked about plant medicine and the nature's pharmacopoeia or the homestead pharmacopoeia, spelled with an F, not a PH. But anyway, and I, for me, that list includes one of these plants, but not necessarily these three specifically although then you could go into trees then you could go into like yep i'm liking I mean, it let's do it um today though we're gonna do these three <laughs> for me i uh, full disclosure i picked these three Lacey picked the one for me the criteria i think is that i can plant them in the ground they grow by themselves and you really don't have to do anything else to them and the benefits of them are insanely beneficial so it's like <laughs> The benefits are beneficial. The bene yeah, That's beneficial nuts. benefits, yeah. <laughs> so you kind of like a plant and forget is kind of my thought. And they like, and you can share them all with your friends. Like It's a very like fix and forget it kind of situation, right. which is really the best way to do a homestead. Because if you have to baby something, then, and I think about this a lot with perennials. And a lot of times when people say, how do I garden? I say, okay, you start by planting a bunch of perennials that then you can fit your annual garden in around. Because... It's just too overwhelming if you have a literal blank slate starting at the ev beginning of every season that's covered in weeds because that's what's going to happen. And also that doesn't have the diversity and the ecosystem going already for it that's going to enhance its benefits and, and make it a healthier annual garden. So most people, you know, you think about gardening, they think tomatoes, carrots, lettuce, you know, those annuals that again and again require so much input. And for us, I think we've spent the last like 20 years figuring out that the best garden is the one that's framework is built on these some of these specifics so yeah the old idea of working with the natural systems mm -hmm. instead of trying to fight them yeah you never go out into like a forest and they're like i know what this forest needs or what this ground needs so i'm going to clear it all and then i'm just going to plant all pine forests in this square square of the garden and then just maples over here i mean sometimes you have a little bit of that like monodiversity but most of the time monodiversity is that a thing sure <laughs> like you walk through a pine forest and it's mostly pines, right? Yeah. But in North Carolina, that actually is very uncommon, I think. Yeah, unless they've planted that. Like, or, yeah, yeah, unless they've planted it. Or unless there's a very, very specific, like, natural occurrence where the wind blows away everything but pines or, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway. Right. So, you, yeah. I would say that this is in the order uh, that I picked them, like my order of favorites. I don't Ooh, know. No, well, then we need to start at the end and say start the Start at the, the end, the best at last. Uh, are we going to... 
Okay, there's a bonus plant. Are we going to bo bonus plant? I don't know. Should bonus plant be first or last? Yeah. Let's, okay, let's start with bonus plant. And I'll tell you why, because I was just staring at this plant this morning, and it's not a plant, really. It's a tree. But, and it should probably go in the tree category. That's okay. Okay. Well, so mulberry. And it's not because I love, love, love mulberries. <laughs> I'm medium about mulberries. The berry itself? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, like the most delicious. But... They, if you plant a mulberry in the right place, it can grow so quickly. It's interesting because it was one of Thomas Jefferson's favorite plants, which I didn't know until we planted it. And then I went and visited Monticello and he has literally mulberry lane. And then you go to, he has a, he had a separate like popular, vacation, popular, popular forest, forest yeah. uh, vacation place, a couple, like a hundred miles away from Monticello. And there he used a ton of, mon of mulberries as well. And he just, he was really a permaculturist, right? And, you know, it, that's kind of cool to think about. Like yeah. somebody who was so, like, so well-read. I mean, he was basically, he just was prolific re <laughs> reader, writer, all of the things. But anyway, he used a ton of mulberries and with good reason because it grows so quickly. It shades so well. And I don't know what all his reasons are, but when I looked at the mulberry tree today that we planted when we first moved out here, you know, it was probably about 10 years ago now. The thing popped up and grew into a straight tree Within the first three years, I want to say. I don't feel like we can call it a straight tree. It's a big tree. There's nothing straight about it. <laughs> straight, like, is a, right. That was a different kind of descriptor. Anyway, and we actually planted a whole row of them uh, all on the edge of the pond and with the idea that they would eventually grow tall enough to drop their berries inside a fenced area where then the animals that are there can also forage that. So they have done that since then, for sure. Um, they grow out over the pond and feed the fish as well. And then we can go and pick and enjoy. But today, this morning, we were looking at that sucker and it's been fruiting for about two weeks now. And it had several squirrels and probably 50 birds in it. I don't yeah. know. You can't even see them because the foliage is so thick, but it is just filled with wildlife. And it's down at a corner of our, near a corner of our, where even we grow our annuals and all the things that we grow really for food. And having those birds around is one of the best ways to eliminate a lot of the pests from the garden um, that we otherwise would be be really battling and fighting to get our food from. So having that right there is it wasn't really an intentional design, but it's been a, a byproduct of our trying to kind of plant diversity. I want to call it an intuitive design. Intuitive I, I'm design. adding a I new like design element called intuitive design. Mm. It's kind of like how we put our mulch piles and our hardwood burn pile at the top of the hill. It was not necessarily on purpose, but it was intuitively on purpose. Intuitively on purpose. Yeah. It's like when you don't second guess yourself too much and you do something because it feels right and then it ends up being a really good decision. Right. Otherwise, it, you call it, 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 when it's a bad decision, you call it a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. No, I was going to say because it works both ways. It's when you just do a bunch of stuff and some things work and some things don't. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's where we're at. But the mulberry is a really beautiful tree. You know, it's got a nice shape to it. The other thing that's really cool about it is that the plants or the animals all eat. You know, all of the animals eat as foliage. It grows back very prolifically. We can we can cut tons of it. A lot of people use it for this new phenomenon, tree hay. I was going to say, so in the tree hay group that I just recently joined. There's th a group called Tree Hay. Thank okay. you, Daniel, for uh, letting me know about that group. It's one of the number one plants for that. So Tree Hay, in case you didn't know, I'm going to take over from Lacey here because I'm excited Clearly. about this. Tree Hay is basically branches that you cut off and then hang up to dry. And that's tree hay with the leaves still on them. Here's what I call it. Too much work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there, 
idea behind it is that there's tons of minerals in there. So it's almost like it would be a supplement to hay, not necessarily replacing hay for large herbivores, you know, sheep, goats, cows, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of people really yeah. would call that coppicing, but it's like coppicing with the intent to use that for or, forage uh, for the animal or for food or, for the animal. Or polar, polarding, polarding. Polarding? P-O-L-L-A-R-D. Polarding? Polarding. So it's where you cut it about, generally above browse height of the animals you're raising. So yeah, because like our cows eat it up to the height Yeah. where, you know, it makes it a little bit easier to get under it and we can see through it and it looks more like a tree. Like, because a mulberry could really grow very much more like a bush. All so now we're going to sing. Bush? No, just, no. We, all, we don't find a lot of weasels in our parts. No, fortunately. we don't. Only, only kid weasels. Oh, but, we do lose an Abraham in there pretty frequently. That's true. So if you cut it at like browse height, then it shoots out the next year, it cut, shoots out all these sap suckers that are like the thickness of like your thumb or finger. And then you cut those for tree hay. And it actually extends the life of the tree. So trees that might have like a 30-year lifespan can go to like 200 years old by doing that. So very well, plus, interesting Plus, I mean, additionally, like you can use those branches of a mulberry really fairly easily for things in the garden, like garden stakes and whatnot. So much like a hazelnut, which a lot of people plant hazelnuts just for the use of the wood, you can do similar things with the mulberry. It is a hollow wood. You know, it's not yeah. something that's going to be super strong, but for specific purposes, it's really useful. And you can even, you know, do the, take those cuttings and try to root them and make more mulberry trees. So, which you don't need to do because we have mulberries now popping up everywhere thanks yeah, yeah, to yeah. the spread of the berries, but that's not a problem. Okay, either, so, so that was our bonus. That was your bonus. Bonus yeah. bush. So talking backwards now, the next one is... So prickly pear. Which I, I find say. it ironic that it's on your list because I think it was my idea to plant this plant. It was definitely your idea, and I really kind of thought it was a bad idea because <laughs> I didn't want to get poked by prickly pears. <laughs> and I definitely do not enjoy working with it. No. Which is funny because the next plant is the same way. I don't not enjoy working with it. Yeah. I, I just... You have to be prepared for the... the like the other day, I, I was potting some up and... You know, it's like a game of can I hold it between the the briars, and then you can't, so then you get you have to pull them out. And yeah, and then they stick, they like work themselves into your gloves. It's true. So you don't work, necessarily know that they're in your gloves until mm -hmm. they're like a minute or two later, and then they're like into your skin. Yeah. But what I do, why it's on my list, is because it's grown so well. Mm. It like you literally just put it there. We don't even have drip there, and it. It just grows and grows, and every part of it is edible. Mm -hmm. It grows these beautiful flowers. It makes little pears that you can eat, and you can eat the leaves. We have not eaten. You can the eat every yet. part of it. Yeah, you can. So you can eat all of it. It's drought tolerant. That's huge. You can also feed it to livestock if you take the stickers off of it. Really? Yeah. Which you can just you can singe them. So I saw this crazy story where this got these ranchers out in Texas were feeding their cows that. The dangerous side about it is that their cows learn to like it and love oh, no. it, but then they found it somewhere else in a paddock with the sticker still on it, and they ate it, and then they got so many stickers in their tongues that they wouldn't eat anything, and they all died. Oh, So no. you do have to watch it, but <laughs> if you have control of your percolate pear and mm. not somewhere where livestock could get to it without you doing that, then, I mean... Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. prickly pear cactus is a... Is a culinary, I mean, it's a thing that people eat a lot of. So yeah. even though we're not as familiar with it, we're just learning. Uh, like Nepales is what it's called generally if you buy it at 
you know, a, in a, a Hispanic food store or, you know, at a restaurant and tacos or whatever. And it's pretty commonly found on those menus. And in fact, people grow it because they, it's easy and it's there and you can grow it. One of the reasons people will grow it is like outside their windows, you know, as a means of security to keep people from trying to get in through their like windows. Like a natural barbed wire. Exactly. But I, the first time I think I, I heard somebody talk about it. I mean, we've had a lot of prickly pears. In fact, we had this most magnificent prickly pear that we kept on our patio when we lived in an apartment. Oh, yeah. And it was a beautiful specimen. And we would give parts to our friends and like share the love, you know, and then somebody stole it right off our patio. Yeah. It was really, was massive, really tragedy, yeah. a big tragedy. But anyway, our prickly pear now, it just, it's, it's like doubling every year. We have to cut it way back. But I went to a speech or a talk on a, it was a permaculture design on like a massive scale. And he was talking mainly about key lines. But one of the things he said he did on our, on his 10 acre property, he went around the perimeter and planted prickly pear around the entire wow. perimeter of his property. That's a lot of prickly pear. That's a lot of prickly pear. But his thought was it could be a good barrier for animals getting out and also for people trying to get in. Which, yeah. I mean, it, once it grows as big as it grows, you know, it really could be. And you really could just, like, take one of those, like, leaves and stick it in the ground. That's and what then, did, You know, yeah. just, like, go around in, like, a trench and just mm -hmm. stick them all in. That would work really easy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. <laughs> so prickly pear. Prickly pear. It could, honestly, I mean, if except for the prickles, like... It could be kind of grown under trees and stuff, like a like a layer one yeah. in a guild situation. And I think the other reason it made it is because I think that like we're seeing longer periods in between rain and we're also seeing hotter temperatures. So plants like that, I think, are great plants to uh, start I think thinking we need about. to adapt. Like, you know, it's yeah. not like I'm going to switch every every veggie I eat out to something like this. But it's really good to, for us to familiarize ourselves with things that are less difficult. Because the, the more difficult, the more expensive, right? Like, you know, we can love bananas all we want to, but we're never going to grow a good banana tree in North Carolina. So having yeah, that a as a while. major source <laughs> in our diet is just not sustainable. So even bananas, avocados, right? What are these things that we love and how can we swap out for things that maybe we are not accustomed to, but that do grow super well here? And, you know, pawpaw is not on our list, but that's another example of a plant that it doesn't have a great long shelf life, but it's a, an incredibly good and, and nutrient dense food that grows really well here. We just have to do the work to like reintroduce. When we start getting pawpaws, then I'll talk to the pawpaw tree about being on our list. Until then, it's not right? on the list. And I would say that compared to like the mulberry, for example, we planted them at the same time. And yeah. it's nothing compared to the mulberry right. tree. So uh, anyway. Okay, give them number two. Number two on Drew's official list of top three plants would be stinging nettle. Yeah. So I think the, so the main reason of stinging nettle is it's a dynamic accumulator, meaning that its roots go super deep and pull up all kinds of great minerals and such that it can feed the fruit trees those minerals it's kind of like a natural fertilizer in some ways what i like about it again is you can plant it easily um, and it spreads the other thing that i think is great about it one of the reasons it's kind of a selfish reason is it's great for tea teas for allergies so you can take it and take the leaves and it drops its nettles when you boil it and then you just make it into a tea and you can also eat it like spinach We've tried it, and I think if I was really, really hungry, I would eat it. But until then, I'm probably it, it not going to. It tastes super green. I think the yeah. easiest thing to do is to use it as a uh, as a tea because, you know, with a tea, you can kind of adapt it to whatever your tastes are. If you want to add a little honey, you can sweeten it up. If you want to add other flavors like lemon balm or, 
you know, anything that peppermint, whatever you like, you can add those things and kind of dress it up how you want it to be, which I think that you could grow a taste for, for the singing nettles on its own. And I mean, the real, the real case of any of these like sort of perennialized native greens is butter and salt. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. You soak it in butter. So yeah, I think, you know, we tried it the one time as like on its own situation. And I think we just need to learn to cook with it in a way that highlights its qualities. Well, I think, I think part of it was like, you have to like harvest it with tongs and gloves, bring it in, rinse it off, boil it, dump that water. Like it's, there's a lot of steps to getting it ready to actually cook. And again, I think like in a starving survival situation, I'd be much more inclined Which, yeah. to do that with tea i mean it's with tea yeah cooking you just, the same yeah. but you just pull it off i mean it really right. it's just about a matter of wearing gloves to pick it yeah. and that's the but yeah i mean it's just super really full of health and it's not just for allergies even though that's one of the main things that people know it for it's just good for so many different things the night uh the the micronutrients in stinging nettle are phenomenal silica is one of the main things and then you've got other things like vitamin i think d and k and like a, a and number vitamin of different c, things. And I c yeah. also yeah so it's just extremely powerful and i was just looking it up in my book that i have right here because it's also great for applying things topically great for a hair tonic the roots will stimulate the circulation in the scalp and eliminate dandruff as well i mean it's really got a long long list of uses also a really great thing to add to your compost because again it's going to just bring all of those elements into the compost and you can make a really delightful compost tea with it and a number of other plants, one of them being Drew's number one plant. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that is great with stinging nettle is planting as a tree guild. So planting it around your fruit trees to fertilize them, but also stinging nettle does a great job at keeping pests away. I I know that our sheep and our cows do not eat it. I don't think deer eat it either. So it keeps deer away from the base of our apple trees. You know, they might not eat it on the plant, but I bet if you cut it and let it wilt, because the water is used to fill its barbs. So once it's dehydrated a little bit, those barbs don't sting anymore. Yeah. Uh, it takes a while, though, because I thought, oh, you know, it hasn't been in water for like two hours. I'll just grab it. Well, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think if you left it out to dry for, you know, maybe overnight, then you'd be set. And then the animals would probably eat it. Yeah. And We're it gonna, would probably be really good I'm going to try that. Yeah. I'm trying to tra make some tree hay from stinging nettle. You can't <laughs> everything, be tree everything hay. Everything is tree hay now. <laughs> I saw someone was making arrowhead plant tree hay. I was like, that's not a tree. But <laughs> the other thing that we've learned intuitively with our intuitive design is that Japanese beetles prefer it over the fruit trees. So a lot of times you'll see Japanese mm -hmm. beetles covering it in the apple tree right above it that's growing. doesn't have hardly any on it. I'm not going to say none, but... Uh, not many. So, and if you shook the tree, they would fall out and be happy in the singing nettle and not yeah. go back up. So, yeah, yeah. So that's a huge, huge bonus. Number one plant Brrr. is comfrey. Yeah, this would be my number one too. Yeah. And I told about a hundred people that over the weekend at the Skillshare event because I think I'm like spent on talking about comfrey. But let's yeah. do it again. So number one is a dynamic accumulator. I mean, this one is roots can go like thirteen feet deep which is insane to me that a plant could do that. In the Carolina clay soil, it still blasts through the clay. And that is really an amazing feat for any plant that can make it through the clay in that we have here. But then it brings those nutrients up to the sur soil surface and 
gives them to our fruit tree. So we plant it, I think, at the base of every fruit tree we mm. have, pretty much. It's kind of like we have so much now. We, we sell the plant and we sell the root. And so, you know, a lot of times I'm just moving plants around. And so I just stick it in the ground here, there, and everywhere. Because, you know, honestly, I would love it to be around the a perimeter of all our fence lines. Just to, you know, keep it from needing to be weed whacked to look nice. And then also to... To have it for animal forage. Animal forage and pollinators. Like and when pollinators, it blooms, yeah. it's a beautiful purple and flower. And the bees love it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they'll be buzzing like crazy. And just to like clarify a little bit about dynamic accumulator. So it's not just tapping into those nutrients that are so deep down in the soil. It also is making them bioavailable to the plants around it. And it does the same thing in compost. So if you add comfrey to compost, it activates that and it makes the compost decompose even more quickly while adding a lot of added valuable, you know, micronutrients and, and things that make your compost even more effective for your or, or your uh, plants and things that you're growing. And a lot of people make a very simple compost tea with comfrey and in combination with stinging nettle, that would be really beautiful just to mix those two together and aerate that for a while and then use that as a tea. So the compost tea is super easy. Like you can take two handfuls of stinging nettle, two handfuls of comfrey, throw it in a bucket of water, at Add a little molasses if you wanted. Mm. Put in a um, supercharge it. Put in a bubbler that's like an aquarium bubbler with one of those little stones, and let that bubble for like twenty four hours. Take it out, and you've got compost tea. It's you know that probably would be, be like simple. the most amazing human supplementation as well. It probably but, would be. Uh, I don't know. You, you would have to bubble it something other than the buckets that we use. Yeah. Those buckets are just I will say, though, that both, I mean, we talked about singing nettle being good nutrition for humans, but comfrey can be as well. There are mixed stories about this online, so you have to be careful because you never know what you're going to find. So find a really good resource when it comes to plant identification and plant usage and suggestions for that. But comfrey is known to serve humans in a lot of different ways, in particular for injuries. And it is just a really simple tool to use. Also, it's you can juice it and use the juice and apply that to wounds. You can add that to a salve or even just using the leaf itself. And commonly people would use it and just wrap it around a wound if there was a break, if there was a cut a scrape a burn whatever and for women dealing with like mastitis uh, it can be huge you can take leaves put them in the freezer and when they're cold pull them out and even just hold them over the breast so you can um, do that with livestock too absolutely yeah. yeah for yeah absolutely yeah it's just a really incredible tool and what it does is it draws blood to the any area so if you added it to salve think about where would you want that salve like you know maybe you you are dealing with something on your skin topically that you want to draw more blood to which when blood is drawn to the area of skin, it helps reduce signs of aging and things too. So be thinking about that as a potential as well. But yeah, comfrey just has so many different uses. We we make a healing salve with, with the comfrey, with tea tree for its antifungal and antiviral properties, frankincense for its, its healing and kind of scar prevention, and lavender for its calming, soothing effects. So it makes this really beautiful salve with those four different components in it. And salves are so easy to make. Definitely should give it a try. But comfrey is one that you just, you can't, I don't know. I mean, I, I venture to say you can't call yourself a homestead until you have it. Definitely not a permaculture. Well, yeah, for sure. Permi. <laughs> want to emphasize though with these tree guilds with stinging nettle and comfrey is that every tree has the tree roots in these like fruit trees that most people are trying to grow. Nut trees also have roots that are pretty shallow, like six inches below the soil, if that. So if you can plant plants at the base of them that go deeper, then they can kind of work in harmony with that fruit tree 
pave a path kind of yeah pave a path but also they're not in competition for nutrients Mm -mm. the um, these plants are below what the tree needs but they're bringing up to the tree what it needs but then they're also working as like a mulch around the tree i saw somebody recently in a homesteading group that had some fruit trees that they hadn't mulched around and the trees were dying Mm -hmm. and you know my first bit of advice was like get some mulch around there but mulch as we all know decomposes and compost eventually and grass grows on and grass grows on mulch but if you can get these plants comfrey and stinging nettles are just one of them growing around you're no longer having to put mulch down grass isn't growing which competes with uh, these trees Mm -hmm. instead you've got this living mulch that's just there and you're done it's maintaining the moisture there it's fertilizing the tree and in both cases you can mow them to the ground and they'll grow back right yeah so as i mean comfrey we've seen it we mow it down and within a few weeks it's like just new plant so and the same with stinging nettle so you just have a lot of options in terms of using them if you're going to just use them or if you just want to mow them for the sake of like you know seeing your tree or stinging nettle for example you want to harvest your fruit and you don't want to stand and sting yeah, nettle that's just chest t- high take a sieve in there cut it to yeah. the ground and you're <laughs> done for that season and exactly you can use that for livestock or teas or whatever mm-hmm. and then you got access to your fruit tree mm-hmm. so those are all the plants that we have for this episode on top three with a bonus top three with the bonus if this kind of thing is something that you want to learn more about you want to know what plants exactly to grow on your homestead We'd love to do a homestead audit with you, either in person or online. You can go to the schoolhouselife.com and get that scheduled. And we can look at, you know, what you got growing on your homestead and what kind of plants would benefit your homestead the most. And go check that out again at the schoolhouselife.com. And thanks for listening.